Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast on Switch Sport with Kevin Moore. My guest is Larry Walker, who currently plays for Wolves Women. Hello, Larry. Welcome back to Switch Sport. Hello, how are you doing? Yes, I'm very good, thank you very much. And the last time we caught up, actually, was what we class in a post-match capacity when you played Kelsa this season. We caught up with you for a few minutes after the game for a post-match interview. But as you know, Larry, with these editions of the podcast, we like to go into a bit more detail, talk about players' journey in their game, what they've done on and off the pitch as well. I'm going to start off in the early days of yourself, actually, Larry, and uh, your early experiences of playing football involved playing as part of the youth team at Bow Street, a team based near Aberystwyth, and looking on their social media platforms, and while the club doesn't have, at this stage anyway, an official women's team, the club do positive work in the community via their men's team, the first team for the men's, the reserve and the youth teams. So Bow Street are a local club near to where you're based or where you grew up, you know, who still to this day do some good positive work in terms of a non-league football capacity. How did you get involved in joining the club, Larry? And did you relish the challenge of taking on the boys, as it were, in the youth team? And with hindsight, because I've spoke to other players on the podcast who've actually played in predominantly boys teams as, you know, as young girls growing up playing football, do you think it's sort of helped towards your development and toughen you up as a player? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I sort of joined Bow Street. Um, they do a tournament every summer where about 500 kids get involved and play for their respective clubs. Um, and one of the coaches from Bow Street saw me playing for another team. I started off in Pemparkai, which is where I lived, um, and a family-run sort of team where my brother played asked me to join I was obviously one of the younger ones uh playing with my older brother so then I got spotted as as such at this tournament and that's when I started playing for Bow Street and I was pretty much the only female and it did help me to play with the boys because it's that uh competitiveness the, the you know the physicality but also just to sort of rub it in their face a little bit to say that, you know, girls can play. Um, and, you know, it took a while. They didn't pass to me for a good couple of weeks and then they realised, uh, you know, I think she can actually play. So, um, yeah, it took a while to, to settle in, like I said, but... Um, yeah, I think it did definitely help in developing me as a player. That's quite an interesting point you make there, actually, Lowry, because uh, we've touched on this with other guests on the programme, saying, you know, at an early age, six, seven, eight years of age, is it a positive to actually have, like, young girls and boys playing together? And a lot of people actually think that is a good thing, to be fair, because as long as, like, they all respect each other and, you know, there's a certain point you can be physical on the pitch without, you know, being too aggressive, because it's all about the enjoyment of the game, that sort of age, really, isn't it? But uh, I get the impression that uh, that's certainly something you enjoyed, that aspect of the game as well. Uh, did, you, did your mum and dad and your family, did they encourage you to sort of like uh, get involved and play football at an early age as well, did they? Yeah, like I said earlier, my, my older brother played and during the holidays uh, obviously from school, there were sort of summer camps and, and little things for the kids to go to. Um, and I always went where my brother went just because it was easier logistics wise I was always too young to go but it was a a family friend uh, we call him Brains who sort of said yeah yeah she can come along no problem and that's sort of how it started and and mum and dad and my brother have been supportive ever since really. So Larry you also played for Aberystwyth uh, Town Ladies initially as part of the development squad now was this a personal ambition of yours to play for your local team? Yeah growing up in in Aberystwyth I was, was always around the youth setup wasn't sort of a weekly basis where I played for the for Aber girls 
it was sort of tournaments that we used to do mainly in the holidays uh, we used to we used to be really successful we had a good squad of players but then when I turned 16 I'd signed for the ladies team and they were sort of itching for me to sign and I was really excited about it as well because it was my first senior sort of setup and I was still at Aston Villa at the time I didn't really know how I worked my way around that but um Anyway, it was all fine. We played in the Women's Welsh Premier League, playing against some some top sides. We were always the underdogs, so every game was hard and and I think that helped build me as a player as well. While playing for Aberystwyth, have you got some memorable games or local derbies you played in at the time that you can share with us? Yeah, playing for for Aber, there was always um, tough rivalry games. Probably the main ones were where... We had to go down south, so play in the likes of Swansea or Cardiff Met. And I think from what I remember, the games against Cardiff Met were always really challenging and the rivalry was there. And I think the one game I do remember was on their new AstroTurf at their facilities down Cardiff way. And it was absolutely tipping it down with rain and we all got soaked and we went on this dreadful minibus, you know, great, great group of girls, but it was such an awful weather conditions to play in. And I think we lost about 5-0, but I had one opportunity where I went one-on-one with the goalkeeper and she just made a great save. She came out off the line, but um, it would have been great to score in that game. But that is one game I remember and they were always tough games against those kinds of sides. As you mentioned there, uh, Lowry, um the team, Aberystwyth Town Ladies, they're playing the Welsh Premier League Women's League at the moment. Are you still a fan of the club? Do you still keep an eye on the results when you see it come through, the final results on Sundays? Do you still sort of keep an eye and see how they're getting on as a club, do you? Yeah, I um, I keep in touch with a couple of the girls as well. Um, sometimes during pre-season, I'll go and train with them if I'm living in Aber just to do a bit of extra training. I keep an eye on how they're doing. Um I think the their aim is to just stay in that in that Welsh Prem and, and not get relegated again like they have done previously. And I think they're doing well. Obviously everything stopped it so far, but from when I last saw they were doing doing okay and got a good squad of players. Well it's good that you keep a connection with that club anyway. I mean that, that's good to see that players when they move on you still want to see how teams that you remember from your early experiences playing football, you know, these these sort of early teams that players play at, it is having that connection, isn't it, to make sure that, you know, as you go for your career you don't want to forget at the bat about the people, forget the clubs that, that put you on those first couple of steps on the ladder as it were. So it's really good to know that you still, you know, take an interest in what they're doing as a club and what they're doing going forward as well. I'm going to move on the conversation now, Larry, to Shrewsbury Town because uh, you obviously spent some time playing there as well. And it was at 12 years of age that you joined Shrewsbury Town then. Now, in comparison to Aberystwyth, what were the key differences for you on a personal basis in terms of the training and the coaching environment? Was it completely different or was there a lot of similarities? I think having played for Aber and around local clubs uh, for so long where you train maybe once a week, have a game on a Saturday, um, so then go into trial for Shrewsbury, which was about 90 minutes away in the car. It was a completely different setup to what I was used to. Um, obviously, training-wise, sort of similar sort of drills and stuff, but the actual professionalism and you know facilities were were so much better than what I was used to. And I think that's why I wanted to make the step up because it wasn't just me 
developing as a football player it was also developing me as a person you know we had to shake hands with all the coaches when we arrived when we left you had to actually sign a piece of paper to play and and you got your own kit and everything like that you got your you know you got your initials on your on your coats and jackets um you had your own squad number it was massively different but it was a, a change that I was you know that I really wanted to, to make and and I think if I hadn't have moved to Shrewsbury, things would be a lot different in my career. As you said, Larry, those little touches, those little differences do make a big difference psychologically. And like, it does give correct that impression for yourself. You know, I'm moving to another area of football professionalism here, aren't I, really? So picking on that point you just said there, Larry, you know, it would be fair to say that when you joined Shrewsbury, this then became for you the starting point of your journey in football to sort of establish yourself as a, as a player you know, taking this more professionally and as as an established professional playing career in the game was that? Did you felt that was like this is now a new chapter for me in terms of playing the game, but also this is very much like the start of my professional journey in the game at the same time. Yeah, it was really daunting to start with. I had a conversation with my family before trialing, and we talked about the distance of travelling. You know, the I wouldn't have time to go. And you know have fun with my friends necessarily after school I'd have to go to training and taking into consideration the sacrifices that I would be making but it was definitely the start of going up as such I obviously I, I did succeed in the local area around ABBA and playing tournaments and things like that but moving to Shrewsbury where there was just more opportunity of playing against bigger clubs and things like that it was yeah it was definitely the start of my journey I would say. And uh, who were the coaches you were working with at the time when you moved to Shrewsbury? Um, there were a couple of ones that I do remember one that stands out is probably Peter Wilson you might have heard of Peter he's now the under 15s national manager at Wales and I've kept in touch with him over the years but he was at Shrewsbury for quite a long time and he's made a name for himself and he was at TNS um, did a lot of work there but he was one that has sort of stayed in touch with me and always helped me out if I ever needed anything I spoke to him about the national squad quite a lot but uh, there was another another couple that I can't remember their last names now and things but they definitely uh, were already friendly and, and it was a shame that the club folded in 2008. But luckily in 2013, they re-established and I think now they've got a, a, a setup again and, and they've got a good sort of network there now and it's good to see them back up and running. Well, we certainly like yourself, Larry. We like to make sure that clubs, you know, do stay in business as they were. We don't see any sort of club go by the wayside, do we? But um, going back to sort of the playing side for a moment at Shrewsbury then, in terms of your gameplay when you joined Shrewsbury, were you starting to establish your preferred role on the pitch? Were you starting to find yourself as a player in terms of like positionally what you felt would be your best strength, your best asset as a player? Yeah, it was definitely an opportunity um, to have feedbacks and some constructive criticism, which I'd never had really from a coach before. I'd, I've obviously had coaches that, but when you're young, it's sort of, oh, well done, that was really good. Whereas when I moved to Shrewsbury, it was, you could do this, you could, you need to do this if you want to improve, or we should work on this next week, um, try and improve this. So, yeah, definitely. I'd, I think I was playing, I don't know, I think I was all over the pitch, to be honest. I, th- I think I cemented my position maybe as a winger, 
in Shrewsbury. But later on, I was more of a centre midfielder. So I was sort of finding my feet. But to be honest, I was just playing with good players as well. Well, that's good to know that you're still enjoying the environment, Larry, you know, and enjoying your football as well. That's that's ultimately the most the starting point for any player is you've got to enjoy it first and everything else follows suit, hopefully in a natural sort of progression. Um, I want to touch on the travelling side for a moment, Larry, if that's okay, because I've spoken to other players on the podcast who have discussed the challenges they faced when making a commitment to a club, especially in relation to the travelling time involved to regularly train and play games as well. Now, the mileage and the hours you were putting in around this time would have been daunting, to say the least. So can you give us an overview of how how long a typical day would have been for you at the time? You know, what time you had to get up, what time you get home, you know, all the travelling involved in that as well. And looking back at that period of your life when you, you, you're putting the mileage in, you're putting the hours in, as it were, to get to these games and do the training sessions, how much support did you get from your family to enable you to continue training and playing at this time? Yeah, I think in the in the women's game, it was sort of just you either do it or you don't. And, and at the time when I was at Shrewsbury, it was an hour and a half there and, and an hour and a half back. Training would be in the evening, so I'd have to you know leave from school pretty much straight away get there for six or whatever time training was and then I wouldn't get home till you know nine half nine obviously that changed when I then moved to um to Aston Villa it was more um and then getting back at late later times but you know as sort of a 12 13 year old missing out I'd say on stuff that my friends were doing and things like that because I'd have to go to training you know it's a big sacrifice and also you're tired from traveling and training and you've got to go to school the next day and get up early um yeah it was a big commitment but it was one that I never questioned or my family never never questioned either my dad used to drive me everywhere until I turned 17 and you know they paid for all the fuel and food and and all my football boots and stuff so yeah I wouldn't have done it without them to be honest. Larry your fortunes did turn out for the better you actually did move to Villa so was moving to a club of Villa stature always something you were looking forward to do anyway? To be honest before shoes refolded I never really thought about going to a better or bigger club um, it was only when they did fold that I thought, right, I've got to think of something here. And Aston Villa were a team that were in the same league as Shrewsbury at the time, and, and they used to absolutely wally us. They used to beat us 10-0, <laughs> and I used to look at their players and be like, wow, like they're so good. And I do remember feeling that when we did play against them, but I never thought when I was playing oh, I wish I was at that club. Or So it was only when the shoes refolded that I sort of looked around. We looked at trials and my mum's an Aston Villa supporter, so I'm not sure whether that caused some bias, but we uh, we took the journey down to Birmingham um, to trial. I think it was a Saturday. And luckily, yeah, I, I impressed and, and I was there for quite a while. I'm going to move on a little bit more about the villa in more detail, actually, Larry, because when you first joined Villa, what was the setup like at the time to allow a pathway for players from the RTC and academies? 
to establish themselves to become the first team. When you moved to Villa, could you see that set up straight away? Did they have an established RTC and an academy and all those sections that we, you know, we take for granted in football nowadays, don't we really? But um, what was it like when you first joined Villa? Was the RTC and the academies quite established and part of the uh, the setup there when you were getting involved in the club to begin with anyway? Yeah, when I moved to, to Villa, the setup was even better than than where I was previously. It was a clear pathway and under 14s, under 6, I think it was under 14s and then it changed to under 15s, under 17s and then develop or reserve squad then up to the first team. So there was that clear pathway and you were always joining in with the older year groups so you could see them then progress on to the first team and, and yeah, it was a really good environment to be in and I remember Martin Harrison, who I still stay in touch with now. He was the technical director at the time and what he did for the club was phenomenal. And, you know, um, yeah, the setup was was great. And uh, working your way through the ranks, as it were, Larry, you know, through the age groups, did this provide you with an opportunity to be part of a squad of players for a period of time? You know, you're growing up together, you're playing together, you're going through the ranks together to eventually break into the first team. And was there a group of players who, you know, start at the same time as you, were around the same three or four year period, you know, for argument's sake. But, you know, it is good when you get a group of players who are going to go for the ranks there because you grow up together as a group of individuals as well as a squad, don't you really? So which players in that time when you first joined the club progressed through to the first team to still be playing with you at Villa? We sort of kept the same squad pretty much from when I first joined all the way up until the under 17. You are sort of growing together and like you say, as individuals, but as a team at away games, we used, we used to stay over and we used to all eat together and things like that. And that's how you really get to know each other. And there's a couple that are in the first team now at Villa. So Amy West was one. I started playing with her and then she she sort of progressed up. Um, a couple of others that have gone from Villa now, but the likes of Sarah Malin, who's at Blues now. Um, and then a couple that are in the, the state. So there was Molly Rouse, um, Lucy Porter, who's now at Louis. Lucy Shepherd, who's out in the States now as well, doing her studies. But they were all ladies who, who went on to play for the first team and uh, and have been really successful ever since. When we spoke to Claire about when she was at Blues, she was at the club prior to the start of the WSL. But when you were at Villa, could you see what the club were putting in place behind the scenes, as it were, as a long-term goal for Villa to eventually become a WSL outfit? I think definitely towards my last couple of years at Villa, um, sort of more when I was in the development squad, because there was that pressure to try and get into the first team and then you'd have the opportunity to train with the first team on a Thursday and I think that's when it really started to to kick in like that you know what they were trying to do you know then they brought in new management you could just see the way that you know the ladies were in training you know they were all trying to get the best out of each other and then that sort of rubbed on to us the younger ones that were in the development team and that sort of competitiveness started creeping in to try and get into the first team. So yeah, it was definitely an environment which has probably more recently begun to be well to be noticeable because um, they're doing so well now um, in the top tier. Um, but it was definitely a club that deserved that direction, and and I think yeah that they'll 
they'll be in a competitive outfit for a long, long time, I think. And uh, a common theme, Larry, that tends to crop up in relation to your journey in football, and it centres around how certain changes in circumstances determines the clubs you eventually play for. Uh, You were originally due to go on a a scholarship in the States. So can you give us a bit more detail at that time about what the scholarship would have entailed? We'll we'll touch on the reasons why that didn't quite happen for you. But um, can you give us an overview of that scholarship that was due to happen at the time? What would that that involve for you if that had gone through as planned? If I went to the States to play, I would have been on a scholarship where um, the university pays for most of your fees, um, tuition-wise and sports stuff so you know your kit and and everything like that gym membership and all that and you would effectively do your studies uh, so whatever subject you picked um and play alongside um in the NCAA so you'd effectively do your studies and train alongside playing quite regularly so sometimes your matches you'd have three matches a week and you'd have to travel by aeroplane to get to some games and really competitive out in the states and if your time in the states had gone as planned as intended do you ever sometimes stop and think about that and think maybe your playing career would have been largely been playing football in America or Canada? I think when I was younger I'd always dream of playing uh, professionally in America Um, so the aim was to to finish uni and then get sort of um, or trial or get get spotted by a professional outfit and then just live out there play out there get paid for, for playing and it's a job effectively that was sort of what I had in my head <laughs> didn't quite go to plan um I I changed my mind in the end I went out there and changed my mind it wasn't the right thing it was a gut feeling um and then I moved back to to England and studied in England and um i have no regrets but um you know it's not for everyone um i still know people that are out there now that are having the time of their lives i know a couple of people that have been in the same situation as me it's just one of those things really you know it either it either is for you or it isn't and uh yeah it wasn't for me but i have no regrets that's good to know larry that you've got no regrets and you're still looking forward you still want to keep on progressing and do things you want to do in your career because you know you've still got a long way to go in your career thankfully um, going to move on now to another area of football, which I know you've had a vested interest in and you've played a part in your journey as well. And that's like, you know, university football and through the books league as well. So, um, you know, let's have a chat about that because your time at University of Wolverhampton as part of the university football set up there as well. To begin with, how does the whole training and match day preparation for university side differ compared to other women's teams you've played for? University football setup is definitely different to club level. It's really competitive, really fun environment. You get to know a lot of people, you make friends. And I think it's more about that social aspect. Well, it definitely was for me and my group of, of players. I made sure that it was always fun for everyone, made sure that I was enjoying it as well. It definitely is it's different, but I think it's different because... People are at different levels, you know, people have got different experiences. Um, Some play week in, week out, whereas others don't. And I think it's about getting that balance of, you know, improving them as as players, but more importantly, improving them as people. And as I was, when I was captain, 
that's definitely what I tried to integrate into into the team. And um, the Box League is where you got some success. You achieved league and cup success. And is the level of competitiveness just as fiercely contested when when rival universities play each other compared to, say, when Villa play Blues or play or when Wolves face the Albion? Do you spot that straight away, even though you might not be from the area where that university is based? Is it still quite fierce and quite competitive at times when, you know, local universities want to play each other? Yeah, it's definitely still got that rivalry. And I think it's something that um, gets passed along. So, you know, the third years or the master students that are in the team then pass it on to like the first years or the second years. And it sort of just keeps going round and round. So uh, at Wolves, our main rivalries were not Trent, I would say always quite fierce games had to beat them to to win the league definitely the nottingham universities were the biggest rivalries the competitiveness in that respect is definitely the same as club level you just want to beat them just as much as if it was you know a derby game and in addition to that as well then larry uh, players you've played at university level no doubt there must be some faces you'd seen pop up on pictures against you when you played at wolves and other teams outside university as well is that good to know that that sort of network is still there where, you know, you'll, you'll know some players who have done what you've done. They've done a mixture of university football and playing you know, in the National League and other leagues as well. But um, is that nice to have that sort of like that balance where you could be playing against somebody in a university set up, say, on a Tuesday or Wednesday? And you may well see each other again on a Sunday afternoon playing in the National League. Yeah, it's definitely um, so it's a weird experience, I think. And especially when... At the time, they'd be my teammates in the week for university and then I'd have to play against them on a Sunday and, you know, and you have to sort of keep to yourself any tactics or, you know, anything that that the club is saying about the game. You have to keep it to yourself because ultimately you're there to do a job and, and you know, your friends off the field, but on the pitch you've got to do what you've got to do. Um but yeah, it's definitely a, a weird experience to to play against your teammates effectively. Um, but there's been a couple in the in the past. Um, you know, you always shake hands after the game and uh, and have a laugh about it afterwards. So yeah, it's it's all good as well because then it, you know that they're putting just as much into football as as you are, and it's the kind of connections that you want to keep really. University and books football has also enabled you to represent England University, which is a great achievements you know to represent England universities at that level and the prestige of playing in the nation's cup now Larry for those who are outside the university football circuit don't really know about this you know this prestige this tournament what happens can you give us an insight into this tournament and how the players are selected to represent their country yeah the nation's cup where I represented Bucks was effectively the staff at the university, wherever you're based, um, put your name forward because of they've been impressed with how your performance, your informed type thing. And then I had to go to a trial and they did a north and a south. So being from the, the, the mid section of England, I had to travel to Sh- uh, Sheffield, I think it was, um, to join the north side. And we had to trial, do 11 v 11, sort of three little games. And it was basically all the best um, female players that were performing well at university level. Um, We put us all together and they chose a team 
to go and represent England universities um, in this tournament that was in Cardiff. Ireland weren't involved, but it was just Scotland and Wales. And it was just, it, it was a good experience to, you know, that had some top coaches that were, were there. One of them is the assistant at Aston Villa Ladies now. So there were some really big names in there and, and there were big players in there too who were, who were all doing really well higher in the women's pyramid. So it was a really good experience, one that I won't forget. On that point, it is like, almost like a Ryan Giggs scenario, isn't it? Because uh, we know Wales is your nation. You want to play at an international level and you're playing at a school level there or a university level. You know, in the case of Ryan Giggs, you play for England schools. And I think what that happened at the time, though, Larry, it confused a lot of people, didn't it, really? Because they thought, well, why is he playing for England when he's when he, we know he's Welsh? And I don't think people realise, actually, in the structure, as you said, you've been picked by all universities to play and represent all the England universities, not the nation itself. Does that sort of confuse some people, do you think, when that sort of situation happens? But going to the other point I was going to make as well, if you get selected to play for Wales, what would be your dream-like game to play for when you put on the Wales shirt? And what would be the ultimate sort of, you know, World Cup match or European match, whatever it is? What would be the sort of, for you, the ultimate game you'd want to be on the pitch playing for, representing Wales as well? Yeah, it was definitely a surreal experience, um, you know, friends and family getting confused about, oh, England University, is that like the national team? Because I am actually half English, so, you know, my family and friends know that I would be eligible to play for Wales or England if that opportunity ever came. But if I was ever to get the chance to represent Wales, I, you know, I would, I've been in the set at a young age and Unfortunately, the opportunity hasn't hasn't come up. Potentially playing in England at a younger age, um, I sort of went off the radar a little bit. But yeah, the sort of dream game would, you know, literally just to get a cap would be an honour, to be honest. And uh, I, I missed out by about 45 seconds on St George's Park against England once we're at um, under 17 level but if yeah if the opportunity ever came it, it would be an honour and just to play against you know it'd be good to play against England because you know you watch them on the TV um, playing for their clubs and, and I think that would be a good experience to play against one of the one of the UK you know teams Ireland Scotland they've all got good teams now yeah, that certainly would be, as you said, Larry, that would certainly be a great uh, personal ambition for yourself, wouldn't it? And a great thing to uh, have a say when you go on and say, well, I remember that was how I got my first international cap and that's who I played against. I'm just going to move on to uh, a, a quick point about the women's football pyramid in general and then leagues in general, because you know, you've had an opportunity to play across different leagues and levels in the in the pyramid. But on reflection up to this point then, what do you think has been the overall strength of the leagues you've played in so far? Yeah, I think having played um, in the Midlands, the leagues are all very competitive. Obviously, I want to keep going up and up and and see see how far I can get. But the yeah, the league is definitely enjoyable. You know, never short of fixtures. Yeah, I think it is definitely a good sort of area to be playing football in, especially if you want to progress up the pyramid. Do you think as well, in addition to that, Larry, as well, is that, um, you know, in, in particular, the last sort of 10 years, I think, is a good example of this, where you go back, say, 10, 15 years ago, a um, couple of leagues below where Wolves are now, it wasn't strong at all, was it, really? Let's be honest about it. But even those lower leagues are getting better and better because 
um, when we spoke to, to Claire Hakeman and other people who've got a connection with through Wolves, etc. You know, these are players who've played at lower leagues before they've moved to Wolves. Uh, teams like your Starbridges and your kid and Mr. Harriers and clubs like that. But even they're getting investment nowadays, aren't they? Even they're getting support off the pitch as well as on the pitch. So are you spotting that yourself, are you? That, uh, you know, when you put the Wolves shirt on and you're playing a team lower than you in the pyramid... I know this season you recently played Sutton Coal Town Ladies, I think is a good example of this. They're below in the pyramid at the moment, but they're getting a lot of backing, aren't they, from the men's section of the club and from the club in general. So is that a good thing that even a bit lower in you know, divisions two or three below yourselves at Wolves, you are seeing some good investment and some good opportunities where women's sections of those men's clubs, those men's non-league clubs, are now getting some generally better support? Yeah, it's definitely um, really good to see that clubs in lower leagues than us um, are getting that support especially that backing from the men's because inevitably that's where the money is and yeah like you know we played Stourbridge not long ago in, in the FA Cup and they always bring a good showing of themselves you know it's always a competitive game you know it's um it's a battle and the same for you know Kidderminster and even Sutton Coldfield when we played them in the cup I think it was 2-0 in the end and and it was a really competitive game. You know, we watched it back on the footage and, you know, they set up really well against us. And it is good to see, especially on social media, the way that they're promoting their the women's team because then it encourages the younger year groups and, you know, their youth setups, you know, it's something to strive for for them and their role models effectively. Yeah, it's really good to see um, and it just makes it competitive, you know, tiers one, two, three, four, five, that's how it should be. So, yeah, no, it's really good to see. Well, we're certainly with you on that one, Larry, that point as well about um, the more women's teams that get more support, the better. And any sort of women's club that's part of a men's section of a club as well, it's, it's good they both work together, don't they, and promote locally in their respective communities. This is football for all, men's, women's, whatever. It's for the the community, really, isn't it? I'm going to move on now towards uh, the Black Country Derby. And uh, you hold a very unique position, Larry. You're not the only player that's that's done this. Um, you've played for both teams. And over the last few years, because you've played for both Wolves and Albion, What's the banter been like for you personally in terms of the social media banter with both sets of fans then? Yeah, I was at I was at West Brom for about four months, so it was quite a short time to be at a club for, but um, you know, I did enjoy my time there and you know, it kept me kept me fit and sort of got me back into that environment because I had about three months without that environment. I was only playing university football for three months, so yeah, to get back into that setup when and the coaching staff were were really good and there was some big names in there and some the likes of Kelly Darby who I'm now playing with. So yeah, it's it's definitely quite funny now that I'm at Wolves, but my heart is with Wolves and and playing West Brom now is like I've been a Wolves fan for all my life when I play them to be honest. Um, so there's yeah, but there's no love lost. I'm at Wolves now and and the games that I play, I play solely for Wolves. But when I was at West Brom, yeah, the, the support from other people was was great. And so I still have the same people keep in touch. So when we do play, it's, yeah, it's quite a good banter, to be honest. And the staff always send me a message after the game. And yeah, it's, it's all friendly banter, but on the pitch, you've, you've got a job to do. And 
and that's how I see it really. Well, as you said, you, you know, it's good to have the uh, the friendly banter and stuff like that. But as you said, like when you're on the pitch, you, you're doing your job, aren't you? But um, I'm going to pick uh, two games in particular. And in recent seasons, you've experienced what can only be described as the drama, excitement and intense rivalry of a black country derby. And uh, one season I'm going to pick out where it wasn't a good season for Wolves per se, but I think it shows definitely how much both clubs have moved on in terms of have they both progressed on and off the pitch. But the 2018-29 season being an example of what I've just talked about there, the drama, excitement and the intense rivalry of White's a black country derby. Uh, mixed fortunes though for you, Lowry, in terms of results because you lost 2-0 away when you met a Balmere that season. Uh, and sadly that season, that results in the Albion pipping you to the title. But on the home turf at the tail end of that season, you won 3-1 at Castlecroft. And uh, you were fortunate enough to get on the score sheet as part of that victory as well. A couple of things in relation to those games. Uh, what can you remember during the week lead up to those matches? And in the game itself, when you scored and got on the score sheet, can you remember in a bit more detail how that game progressed over the course of 90 minutes anyway? Yeah, I think um, before any derby game, the week can be quite intense, especially leading up to the games. But, you know, we're already thinking ahead to, to the Albion game and, it's not just that we were trying to win the league. It's um, the rivalry and we've got to beat them. You know, we, we need to win the league, um, that sort of mentality. It is, you know, the coaching staff that we've got are phenomenal and, and they do their best to, to not make it as tense as it probably is. <laughs> we, we've treated it like, you know, any other game, really. We try and be as professionally set up for any game but especially yeah the the one where we lost 2-0 I can remember everyone was really up for it you know training was really good that week I think I was just coming back from injury so I was quite newly newly fit I think and um, unfortunately didn't start that game which Maka knows that I wasn't happy about and the 11 that were on the pitch deserved to be on the pitch and and you know they gave it their all and it just wasn't meant to be on the day and we knew that that wouldn't define our season on the on the day I think but everyone was gutted after the game and and you know we did our best on the day but yeah unfortunately it wasn't it wasn't a good day for us and then the the game against them um, on our home turf we had the advantage that we were used to our to our pitch I think we were better set up for that game. We were more mentally prepared. You know, the, the staff did really well to, to prepare us for that game, tactically, mentally and physically as well. And we just knew that we had nothing to lose, really. We wanted to, to win our battles. Everyone was really motivated. And I think I didn't start that game either. I came on, I think it was the 70th minute or the 76th minute. It was 1-1, so it was a really tense game. And then the ball came in as a cross. I was in the box and I just did an overhead kick. <laughs> I don't know what came over me. Um, and it went in the in the back of the net. And <laughs> we all celebrated like goons in the middle of the pitch. And, you know, it was a great feeling to, to score, but also put us ahead in the game. And it was a pivotal moment because about two minutes later... I fed the ball in for Jade and she scored to make it 3-1. And then I think towards the dying minutes of the game, it was just really 
end-to-end stuff. It was, you know, there were tackles going in, yellow cards flying around everywhere. And um, West Brom had a penalty. That would have made it 3-2. But um, Maddie and Goal pulled off a great save and the game ended 3-1. And then they celebrated the title on our ground. So, yeah, that was a memorable derby game for sure. I remember speaking to Maka when he appeared on the episode of the podcast as well. He touched on that game as well. And I'm right in thinking that uh, he did get the squad to sort of like st- uh, do it like a ro- um, like a guard of honour for the Albion when they came onto the pitch. And we, myself and my colleague Ross thought, we asked that question about Maka saying, you know, why did you do that? And he, his point was, well, you know, they, they are, they've won the league. We want to show a bit of respect regardless if it's Albion or whichever team it is. I think that speaks volumes about Maka as a man, really, doesn't it? Because like he's he'll hold his hand up when a team have won something. You say, yeah, they've won it, fair enough. That's not our problem. We move on, don't we? But is that a good thing, though, do you think, that you still, even though you, you're rivals, you still show respect on the pitch when they've done something which you haven't been able to do and win a title that season? But on the flip side that, you know, does it spur you on to be more successful as a squad and bond together as a team anyway? Yeah, I think that, that does speak volumes for Maka, the staff, but also us players as well, you know. I knew I knew a lot of faces weren't happy, um, you know, while doing the Guards of Honour and, you know, it did feel a bit awkward to be honest. But yeah, they, they won the league, they you know, they deserved that, you know, they now in, in in that league and they're doing quite well. Um so yeah, I think it definitely does represent us as as certain kinds of people and humans and if if the team has won the league then you know, the least you can do is a guard of honour and respect them for that. So I think it was definitely something that we were always going to do. And it it was just nice to get the win at the end of the game, to be honest, and put that sort of fire back in our bellies and say, you know, we're going to come back and win this next year. Well, that's some good points you made there, Larry, about showing respect to your opposition, regardless of which local rivals, whoever they are, it is about showing respect. And I think you can't really sort of dispute that you know by doing a guard of honour is the ultimate respect to your opponents especially if they've won something um another quick question i want to ask about uh, the black country derby in particular um you know yourselves and and west brom you both have got ambitions to go beyond the national league and that's what we want to see on switch you want to see you get there as high as possible at the pyramid but if ever and there's a very strong chance this may well happen with the next two three five years in particular can you see an opportunity arise where, and I'll give an example, this season we've seen the first ever WSL derby between Villa and Blues take place at Villa Park. Could you see a situation, Larry, sooner rather than later where you could have a black country derby in the WSL where you're playing your games against each other at Molyneux and the Hawthorns? Yeah, that's definitely something that we're aiming for to get those sort of games because then you get the publicity, you get the fans, you know, the social media around it, which are all sort of advertises the women's game in a positive way. Yeah, there are definitely games which I think will be happening in the next one to three years and uh, ones that I very much look forward to. And uh, coming full circle now, Larry, in terms of your football journey, now you're into your third season at Wolves. And despite last season's disappointment of what was looking guaranteed promotion until the pandemic finished the season early, the squad has largely, by and large, stayed together. Uh, they're still a very close-knit bunch, as we know. And as well as Maka still being there, you've got Marcus Webber there now as part of the coaching setup with uh, Maka. So from your point of view, has this season felt like the season whereby everything is now starting to click and come together both on and off the pitch to keep on taking the club forward? 
Yeah, definitely. You know, it's a process to help create a club, be successful consistently. And I think now, having had the experiences that we've had as a squad, last year was really unfortunate. And, and luckily, we have kept the same sort of core players um, we've lost a couple, but we've gained players in our new signings, and I think it does feel like it is all coming together and, you know, performing on the pitch, whether we've worked hard for each other. It's definitely a squad which, you know, I've really enjoyed playing with, and, and I hope we do all continue to, to go up together, and um, that's the aim, really. And uh, regarding yourself on a personal basis then, Larry, have you got a personal ambition that you want to achieve while playing for this club? Yeah, I definitely, you know, my heart is with Wolves, like I said earlier. And, you know, with everything that we've, you know, we've achieved or gone through together, or, you know, we've failed together. I think the, the support that we've got from the club now, we've had Jeff She sort of watching our games and, and keeping in touch. It does feel like a family and it's one that I definitely want to be a part of. Um, so to get up the pyramid with Wolves would, would be a dream, really, and, and one that I really hope to achieve. Well, I'm sure sooner rather than later, Larry, we're going to see Larry Walker in the WSL uh, for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wouldn't that be fantastic, wouldn't it? Uh, we're going to move on to the quick fire round now, Larry. Um, these questions aren't sort of pre-scripted, so I just want to get your immediate reaction to a few quick fire round questions I'm going to throw at you now to begin with. This first one might be a bit controversial, but we'll see how we go on this one anyway. Best manager you've ever played under and why? I think I've definitely got to be quite biased on this and say Maka. He's definitely the best manager that I've played under. Just his professionalism, his dedication, the effort and, and heart and desire that he puts into everything um, without fail. Um, and, you know, his knowledge of the game is, is just really good. And, you know, he, he always wants to get the best out of you and, and you can see that. OK, that's good to hear. That's good that Mac has still got the vote there. That's impressive to know that. That really is. Next question, Lowry. Best player you've ever played against and why? It's got to be um, Anne Berger when she played for Blues um, in goal. Yeah, she's just a phenomenal goalkeeper. The next question is a five-a-side team question for you. You've got to go down Compton and take on the Wolves men's under-21 or the academy in a game of Power League. You're the manager, you're in charge, and you've got to pick a five-a-side team, a five-a-side women's team that's going to go down there, take them on, and get the three points, basically. You've got to nominate a goalkeeper, you've got to nominate a captain, and I'll let you have a sixth selection, I'll let you have a super sub as well. So if you want to go through, start with your goalkeeper then, what would be your team? Oh, OK. Um, this is pressure, I'm the manager, OK. So I'm thinking, in goal, I'll have Captain Ann Berger, because... She's just world class and she'll keep them out. Up top, I would have Ellen White and um, Viviane Miedemar because that attacking force just sounds phenomenal to me. <laughs> I'd have Jordan Nobbs in there uh, just to keep everything settled in the middle. Oh, Then I'd have Perksy as my captain. I've got to stay loyal to Wolves and she'll just, she'll head everything score some goals hopefully um, and then my super sub would be Beth Mead and that's it I think. 
I'll tell you what, Larry, that's a good lineup that is. And it's good that you got Perksy in there as your, your Wolf selection as well. I think you'd have been under a bit of pressure if you went back to the uh, dressing rooms and say, why did they pick us in the, in the five-a-side team? But nevertheless, that is a, I look at that on the sheet of paper, I'm thinking, yeah, they would take on the under-21s, and I think they'd win quite easy, to be fair. Well, that's great. Your answers down the quick fire round, Larry. Thanks ever so much for that. It just leaves me to say on behalf of myself and all the team at Switch Sport and Switch Radio. Larry, as ever, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. It really has. Fascinating journey. You've played some interesting clubs so far up to this point in your career, and I'm sure you've got many more adventures to go going forward in your playing days. And we just want to wrap up by saying thanks once again for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It really is. Best of luck for this season going forward and more seasons ahead with Wolves. Take care, Larry. Look after yourself. And no doubt we'll catch up with you again at some point during the course of the season. Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch.